the word that it is not good for man to be alone. And we have this other reminder that it is your dream that you bring us into one, one body. And so, Lord, may we live out your dream on planet Earth and so bring glory to you, the God who saves and redeems and calls a family for his very own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm um, glad you're here, uh, taking in this is the third week in this series, and we're really setting the table for the year for us in January 2018 about what it means to be a fully devoted follower. We're realizing it comes down to three most important things. To talk about this uh, second most important thing uh, this week, um, I want to turn to an interesting passage in John chapter 13. Uh, they say the memories are really burned, they are seared into your brain when they are accompanied by certain things when they are accompanied by smells, when they are accompanied by uh, vivid pictures and strong emotions. And you have all three of those in John chapter 13 in this interesting uh, episode in the Last Supper. There are the smells, of course, of dinner. There's the, the smell of the bread, the unleavened bread, the wine that they're drinking. There was the extraordinary, probably even disturbing picture that you're seeing if you're a disciple of your master Jesus, whom you believe to be the, the, the long-awaited Messiah. And there he is, bending down low on his knee, uh, his uh, outer cloak probably stripped off, a towel over his arm as he washes everybody's dusty feet. And then there's the strong emotion, the high emotion of a conspiracy that was revealed. One of them is a traitor, right? So all this probably contributes to burning this night into John's memory so that even decades later when he writes his gospel, Stunning details are recalled with amazing accuracy. Here's after Judas leaves the room in shame. Uh, we read John chapter 13, verse 33. He, he turns to his disciples, the remaining 11, and says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You can't come where I am going. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, so now a couple of things we must, we must draw out of this passage. First, he calls his children, or his, his disciples' children, little children. In fact, this is a pet name for him in several places in the Gospels. And this endearing term is made all the more poignant by the fact that he has just revealed to them that he's going to leave them. Little children, like a spiritual father, little children, I'm going to leave you. So this is a really touching moment here at the Last Supper and he's saying this tangible physical presence of Jesus which they had enjoyed for the better part of three and a half years as his children, his own adopted sons as it were, this one family, that, that presence is going to be in some sense stolen from them. So I just wanted you to catch this. To his little company who will lose the palpable concrete company of its Lord, Jesus gives a specific consolation. And what is the consolation in light of his imminent departure? The consolation is this. Love each other. I'm going to leave you. Love each other. Mirror the love that I've had for you. Let that be a perfect reflection. Love one another. So friends, get it. This is our consolation too. You understand that? Because you and I have never heard or probably, uh, you've never probably heard Jesus audibly. You, you do not touch the master physically. Uh, we don't see him reach out his physical hand to meet our need. That's a loss. A 
loss that we have that the disciples did not experience for three years. They had the wonderful privilege of being with Jesus physically. But we have this consolation. We have one another. We are Jesus to each other. And AC3, just understand that you go throughout the Gospels. It is the consistent teaching of Jesus that he comes to us in people. So Jesus will say, when you're meeting together in my name, I'm there. And he'll say, when you serve the least of these, he says, I'm there. I'm in those people. And when we love one another, we are his way of loving the church. We are his way of loving us. Get it? We are his way of loving us. We are loved by Jesus, by each other. It's stunning. And it's just amazing and beautiful and and what a high, high responsibility. He bequeathed this to us then in what he calls a new commandment. And it's not that God had never commanded love before he had, right? Remember, Jesus refers back to Mosaic law, the second greatest commandment of Moses, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So that's not new in that sense. It's a new commandment in this sense because for the believer from this moment after Jesus' passion, that believer would have new power by God's Holy Spirit inside to love in new ways. And, of course, after this moment, the believer will have a wild new depth of example for love, even the cross. The cross then becomes this new example of this is love. This is what love looks like. So if that's what love looks like, well, then that's new. Because that's a new kind of radical depth of selflessness that the world had never seen before. So Jesus says, love like I loved, love like I'm going to show you love is in in the hours that follow and then you will be me to each other and guess what ac3 there was a church that did it that's what's amazing to me they're like there was a church in this world that actually did it that loved one another with a kind of radicality that we have rarely seen ever since it took place in downtown jerusalem in the first century we mentioned this church last week in acts chapter 2 and this beautiful description of a community committed to love We read last week, right, that they love God. They love God radically by commitment to spiritual growth and to glorifying their Lord. But we read also the church also loved the church. (laughs) Get it? The church was committed to loving the church to one another. Here's the description, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I've just pulled out those parts of the description that really relate to the richness of their life together. So just like last week, we said not only does this church show us what the main thing is, it also shows us how to do the main thing. So last week we showed how do you love God, the intangible, invisible, all-powerful. Well, they, they grew and they glorified. Well, How do you love one another? Well, look what they did. We can break it down into two practical G's as we've labeled them. They grouped. They were together, uh, Luke says. They met in homes. They were devoted to fellowship. They grouped. And then they, they gave. They gave of their resources. They served the needs of the body. So there it is. That's how they loved one another so practically. So to put even more practicality to it, let's distill, you can distill those G's into a couple of questions. So let's unpack them, shall we? When it comes to grouping, 
it kind of gets down into practical application when you answer the question, am I fully uh, committed? Or, uh, sorry, connected. Am I fully connected? And you ask yourself about your spiritual life, am I fully connected to the body? Now here's a picture of grouping to give you an evaluative grid to, ask or to answer that question. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says in his letter to them, uh, verse 11, uh, here is uh, here, that is to say in the church, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I mean, what an epic line. Okay, pause. That's what it's, that's here. Now, therefore, next verse. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Okay, let's pause there for a second. We study this. Underlying our grouping, Paul says, is the fulfillment of a dream. And it's a scriptural dream. It's a big, epic dream. It's the Bible's story coming to conclusion. Because way back in Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to him and says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And all the people who bless you, I will bless. And if they curse you, I will curse them. And I will make your name great and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It's God's dream in Abraham to begin with the tiny seed of a man. This guy who is called out of the Chaldeans to become the seedbed for God's dream to create a people from all the peoples of the earth. That's an amazing dream. And now in Christ, it's being fulfilled. So he says, here we've bust through all the old barriers race skin color ethnicity no longer gray, greek or jew uh, the, the religious insider religious outsider in galatians he'll talk about no longer male nor female we broke down all these things all these artificial barriers every socioeconomic class nationality language all of it broken down so that god can make one family just christ christ is all and is in all all reconciled through the cross us reconciled to God and us reconciled to one another that's the starting point for the church notice he says here here this is the this is the DNA this is the identity here may not be the rules out there out there it's factionalism out there it's division out there it's old tribal groups out there it breaks right and left out there it's all the old breakdowns in here one like the song we sung we heard earlier one body one one church and so um, if we believe that we are one then what values follow naturally that's the therefore therefore this dream is coming true of God's one flesh family then then what will follow compassion kindness humility gentleness patience bearing with each other forgiving each other love over all I mean this is epic it's so awesome isn't this an amazing description doesn't it lift your spirit this is God's dream community awesome right but here's the problem you don't really want that you don't let me tell you why you don't want that all right why not well guess what's assumed to be present if you're going to need all these things, compassion, 
patience, bearing with each other, and forgiveness. What else is going to be in a community like that? Well, there's going to be some hurts, right? The starting point. That's got to be a community probably full of broken people who are going to wound each other from time to time. We'll stretch each other's patience from time to time. You're going to have to, if you're going to, have to bear with someone in the church, that means you're going to have to put up with them. You're going to have to tolerate them sometimes. So let's just get real, okay? Sometimes in today's churches, we don't ever get close enough for any of these commands to be applied. And we have strategically made it so. So that we don't have to apply these things. We don't get known enough for any of these commands to have traction or any relevance or meaning. Look, if I've never had to forgive someone in church, if I've never had to bear with someone or be patient with someone, then it's probably because I don't know anyone well enough to be affected by them at all. How do you get known? In a group. That's how you do it, by grouping. You do what the first church did. You meet in homes. There's a big group. They were a big group. There was 3,000 of them. And then you have a little group. Then you have a small group. You have little circles of friendship like cells in a bigger body. And in those cells is where you become a family. In those cells is where you live out kindness, compassion, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other. You know, people love that description of the church, friend, until they realize what family means. All you have to do is think about your own family. You got siblings? I got siblings. Oh, you mean, well, I have to be committed and have to be loyal and have to be forgiving and have to be gentle and have to be kind and have to be patient. See, I thought that I would go to a church and everyone would be that for me and, and, and I'm not gonna cause any trouble, certainly, so then it will be perfect. Uh, no. Friends, challenge time. The day for thinking like children about the church needs to be over. Some of you, I'm just guessing, have been wounded in church. It happens. It happens a lot. Guess what? There's a reason for that. It's because the church is full of sinners who sin. That's why you've been wounded in church before. And since then, maybe you strategically stayed away from being known in a church. That is to say, you strategically avoided grouping, as we've defined it. Oh, come to a service. Anyone can do that, right? And that's, a, that's an important part of loving God. We talked about that last week. Sure, but don't go to a group, whatever you do. Don't go to a group. Don't sign up for one. Don't start one, for goodness sakes. You get Dan's you know, phone number on your cell phone and you delete, you know, because you know he's going to ask you to do something where you're going to get known, you know. Don't call a Christian friend for mentorship. Don't arrange on your own accord, just on your own initiative, just arrange a little circle of friendship, either in your home or in a restaurant or something, weekly or biweekly or monthly, for confession or for accountability. Don't do that! Because that's risky. That's super risky. Well, why wouldn't we do that? We don't do it because groups become families. And families are loud. <laughs> families are loud. I mean, uh, remember the scene from Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Some of you are movie buffs. Uh, Nebula says at one point, Nebula is the outsider, wondering if she can trust anybody inside the team of the Guardians of the Galaxy. She says, you guys are not friends at all. You, all you do is yell at each other. And Gamora, her sister, is about to contradict her, like, hey, no way. And Drax just jumps in and says, no, you're right, we're not friends. We're family. And no one gets left behind. 
Listen, I get it. Christians can eat their own. Uniquely, as it turns out. It seems like they are uniquely capable of eating their own. But what do you think Jesus meant when he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another? What do you think he meant? Do you think that he meant that it would just be a place where all the physical needs are met and then it was just shiny, happy people? I mean, is that what you think that he meant? Friend, I gotta ask, what were you thinking? I mean, what were you thinking? A truly loving community is not one where we don't have problems. A a truly loving community is one where homo sapiens are part of it, and that means that we're gonna have to work through some problems. In love, we choose family. We choose it, and so we choose to be known, and that means we choose to know others. And how will you do that if the sum total of your Christian experience is only big church gatherings maybe once or twice a month? You just won't. So we have to do what the first church did to fulfill the great command, the new command that Jesus gave. We have to do what they did. You have to group. That is to say, you have to meet together in homes, small groups, circles of friendship. Now, I'm a part of a group at AC3, and I've been a part of many groups at AC3. The one I'm currently in is interesting because we had a discussion just this last week about talking about how hard it is, how risky it is to enter into community. And so it's, it's a pervasive, it's a universal experience. If, you're, if you have trepidation about this, join the club, okay? And I remember this is a beautiful conversation where all of them were talking. We've been together a couple of years now and they were saying how, how risky it was, how, how reticent they were to jump in. Why? Well, you know, your problems might come out. People might see your dirty laundry. The cracks in your marriage will show. Your spiritual doubts, your weird mannerisms, your tendency to quote movie lines no one's heard of. Right? It'll happen. But after being together and learning to trust each other, it was just really wild. I'm just looking around the room at these 10 people and they're talking, they're kind of raving about what God did in a group, in community. Community was worth the risk is what they were saying. It strengthened our marriage. It's connected us to a family. I feel like I belong. I have support. We're closer to Jesus. It's blessed our children. I mean, these are the comments floating around the room. AC3, question, are you fully connected? You have to do some things to be fully connected. You know that, right? You're gonna have to open up your life. And you're gonna have to open up your home. (laughs) That might be the scariest thing. And, And you're gonna have to open up your heart. Now, I get it, it's scary, so you know you can take this in, in bite-sized baby steps. Maybe the first thing is a service group. You know, you just kind of get connected, employing your gift, we'll talk about that in just a second. You know, you can see the lobby display, first fruits. People are out in a church farm, they're, they're growing organic, awesome food for their families, and they're getting to know people. And there's no big commitment, and you know, just, just rub, rubbing shoulders, other Jesus followers who are growing food for themselves and then giving it away to the needy in our community. It's a pretty cool thing. Or Creek Kids, you know, you, you get on a team that you're teaching kids and you're being part of lessons that are being imbibed into the lives of our youngest seekers. You're going to get to know people. You're going to get known, and it's the beginning, and you just see what God does. Okay, so now let's unpack the second G, which is giving. And the question that makes this, you know, have you know, some practical application in our hearts is, are you fully invested? So are you fully connected, and are you fully invested? Those are the two great questions to ask about how or whether you are loving the church. Second Corinthians chapter uh, 8, verse 6 through 7, give us a picture of giving. So Paul says, 
to this young church. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. All right, so now what's going on in this passage? Paul is talking to a young church where he started an offering. There's a special collection that he was making of all the churches in Europe so that these more wealthier churches could help their poverty-stricken brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. So the context is a money offering, all right? But what I want you to notice is that Paul connects the giving of money, which is important, with the giving of every other thing that you do in church. He says you got gifted speakers, you're gifted in helping, you give in terms of your enthusiasm, you give in terms of your knowledge, you give in terms of love. There's lots of giving. And of, of all the ways you give, one of them is that you give financially. So just as we can't really say we love the church unless we group, We also say, friends, that we can't love the church unless we give. And giving begins here. First principle, stewardship. You you become a giver, friend, when you understand that you're not an owner. You are merely a manager of your stuff, your time, your talents, and your treasure. And so a manager manages the stuff in their possession according to not their dictates, but the dictates of the owner. And when you get that principle, friends, it opens up the floodgates of giving in your life. Because now you just realize it's not my money, it's not my time, and it's not my gifts. These are all things that were poured into my life if I belong to Jesus. So in fact, regarding the stewardship principle, same letter, same context, Paul will note the importance of the ownership principle when he talks about another poor church who is also engaging in the same special collection, a church much poorer than the one in Corinth and yet setting the pace when it came to generosity. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. What explains it, their radical generosity, what explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and then to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. So the lesson is this, friends. You love God and you will love what God loves. And guess what God loves? God loves the church. God loves the church. Alone among the nations of this earth, the special people of God is the church. A people that is derived from all the nations and all the tribes and all the tongues and all the skin colors. That's what God loves. God loves the church. So when you love God, you will love what God loves. And giving to the things that God loves will just start to flow. Over 10 years ago now, uh, I remember there was, I think it was a Monday morning, I was in the church office, no one else was there. Two men walked in off the street. It often happens in a church. And they were guys from low-income housing, and they were looking for help. And they asked for prayer. And uh, they probably had moderate mental uh, disorders, and their hygiene was terrible. And in that moment, I'm just filled with judgment, right? That shouldn't happen, right, pastor? Love everybody. But there I am judging badly, because, you know, all I see at first is, uh, you know, darkened, rotting teeth, stuttering speech smell and shabby clothes and then i all i can tell you is just my vision changed in a moment when i felt the holy spirit speak to me and say something like jesus has come to you today 
Jesus has come to you today. And I just, this, that, that thought just changed my vision entirely and it softened me to think that I was looking at Jesus. And so I gave. So giving just kind of flowed when I could see my master there. And I, I gave what I could to their material need. And then I looked them in the eyes and I honored them with some relationship and a little friendship and some listening ears. And then I laid my hands on them and I prayed for them. And afterwards, the smell lingered in my office. And so I wrote in my prayer journal, it, it, it's weird, it, it felt like incense. And so I wrote in my prayer journal, Lord, let me take it in as your smell. For as much as I prayed for them, I prayed for you. And when I laid a hand on Steve's knee and put anointing oil on his forehead, I did that for you. And I used my gift to encourage you that there was a loving father that would hold you. And though it seems heretical to talk about you needing anything, I gave to your need today. I bless you this day, Jesus, Master, for you came to me in disguise. AC3, you can do that. I mean, you don't have to work in a church office. You can do that. You just have to give yourself first to Jesus. You give yourself first to Jesus, and then giving is just going to start to flow. Yeah, it'll start, it'll maybe it won't start, but it'll be part of your financial portfolio. I mean, your, your first fruits, the stuff that's coming in, you say, that's not mine. Yes, it's been given to me to use for all my needs. But as an expression of thankfulness and gratitude, the first tenth, that's just the biblical benchmark for generous, generous giving, the first tenth, that just goes back to God. You say, oh man, a tenth? Seriously, that is way too much, Rick. Well, friend, you're just getting tripped up on the math. And you need to think about the love. It's just about the love. But giving is also not just about your, your financial resources and stewarding them as if you don't own them, but as if God owns them. But what about your gifts? Because God doesn't, God is the one who gave you those things. Your special spiritual gifting. Let's read about that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. So you extract three great principles out of this. Number one, each of you. That means everybody has a special grace, a special ability given by the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, for what reason? For serving the church. To love one another. You have been gifted. You have been enabled specially by God to serve the church in some way shape or form and then when you find that out and how do you find that out except by experimenting and serving that's how you find it out you just take a chance you start serving and then you start realizing wow I've been graced in this area and then how are you to deploy it deploy it with total commitment like not half-heartedly do it he says with the energy as if you were God himself loving the church because guess what you are you are God's way of loving the church, Jesus said. Mark Adams writes about Bill Wilson, who pastors an inner city church in New York City. And his mission field is a very violent place. Bill Wilson himself was stabbed uh, twice during his time in that church. He tells a story about one time a Puerto Rican woman came very involved in the church um, and she eventually accepted the Lord Jesus. So her conversion was kind of a cool moment and uh, really reoriented in her entire way that she looked at her resources. 
So one time she, he remembers her coming and sitting him down and she came to Pastor Wilson and said, listen, I want to do something to help with the church's mission. That's just instinctual, by the way. When you, know, you get bought and won to Jesus, you just want to give. And so he asked her what her talents were and she couldn't think of any. I mean, she couldn't even speak a lick of English. But she knew she loved children. So he put her on one of the church's buses that went into neighborhoods and transported kids to and from church each week. And so each week she chaperoned on that bus. But she wasn't just like a hall monitor. She chaperoned like she was Jesus on that bus. And so she wouldn't just sit there, right? So she would find the worst looking kid, put him on her lap and whisper over and over again the only words that she had learned in English, I love you, Jesus loves you too. And that's just what was her habit. After several months, she became attached to one little boy in particular. The boy didn't speak. So there was clearly trauma going on in his world, just silent. But every week, he would come and he would sit in this Puerto Rican woman's lap, never making a sound, and she would just whisper to him her little mantra, I love you, and Jesus loves you. One day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and stammered, I, I love you too. And then he put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. And that was 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, he was found dead. His own mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. So I want you to think about that. I love you and Jesus loves you too were some of the last words that that little boy ever heard in his short life from the lips of a Puerto Rican disciple who could barely speak English. And she just blessed that boy. You know some leader, pastor type, they can, you know, arrange a team. That's within their scope and capacity to do, but they can't do what this woman did. So she gave her one talent to God, and because of that, a little boy cherished in God's sight who never heard the word love in his own home experienced and responded the love of Christ. So when we talk about loving the church, friends, I just can't help but you know draw back to what we talked about. Love isn't love unless it's you know doing something. And so I want, if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, friend, you're gonna have to love the church. You gotta love the things that Jesus loves. Yes, even when it's unlovable. And here's two questions for you to ask: Am I fully connected? And am I fully invested? Let's pray. God, in the challenge of the gospel, may the church shine. May this church shine. May we be a special light on a hill and the salt of the earth because we decided to love the thing that you love and you love your bride. You laid your life down for your bride. So Lord, may we love and so show the world that we are disciples of Jesus. Amen. Friends, uh, if there's a challenge that God's put on your heart, maybe there's a next step for you. You think about that and you can think about it in worship and maybe respond to God's amazing grace and you can get this whole love thing in the right order. We love because he first loved us. That's what worship does for you. And we're going to do that in about four minutes. So you have enough time just to stand up, stretch, maybe shake the hand of someone near you. Tell them that you're glad they're here and then let's worship God together.